Hello, and welcome to Body Liberation for All. I'm your host, Dahlia Kinsey. I want to give you some expectations for the podcast. This is episode one. Every month at the top of the month, first Monday of the month, you can expect an interview with either a creative, a healer, a business person, or just someone living their best gay or BIPOC life who is going to be sharing some wisdom and some tips with us so that we can live the healthiest and most vibrant version of our lives. And in between, occasionally there will be bonus episodes where either I come to you with things that are more centered on getting comfortable in your body, body neutrality, or other obstacles to us being the freest version and the most happy version of ourselves. This show is all about empowering you to step into your truth and to live from a place that really is in alignment with who you know yourself to be. A big part of that is about being less invested in what other people think about you. And there are just so many practices that you can take on to help you learn how to prioritize your intuition, your guidance, your desires, and what your higher self is telling you above all others. This interview with our first guest, Catherine, I swore would be less than an hour. We were aiming for 30 minutes, but the truth of the matter is I love talking to interesting people. So of course, it ended up being more of a long form type of situation, which honestly, if I'm being real with myself, that's probably what we can expect to see in the future as well. But please reach out to me, give me feedback and let me know what you would like to hear more of. If you have guests that you want to recommend, if you yourself would love to come on the show and share your story with the audience and share your insights with the audience, that would be fantastic as well. You can reach me on Instagram at Body Liberation RD. Yeah, they might try to put you in a box. Tell them that you don't accept. When the world is tripping out, tell them that you love yourself. Hey, hey, smile on them. Live your life just how you like it. It's your party. Negativity is not invited for my queer folk, my trans, people of color. Let your voice be heard. Look in the mirror and say that it's time to put me first. You were born to win. Head up high with confidence. This show is for everyone. So I thank you for tuning in. Let's go. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's so nice to see you, Dahlia. I'm excited about this whole project, and I was super hyped when you reached out to me because I thought it might take a while to get around to the topic of some of the trauma that a lot of us have around mm-hmm. the church and our identities. Mm-hmm. And then you came like to me out of nowhere, and I thought, perfect. Because this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And I think our relationship to faith as queer people, gender nonconforming people, people of color, everybody who's outside of like the main group that gets all the goodies, it can be really difficult to work through that. And it can be just one more thing that adds to all the stress that you have in life and stops you from being as happy and healthy as possible. So yeah, and fat people too. We can't forget us. Absolutely. Thank you for that. That's exactly why I want to have lots of diversity on the show because there's so many different ways to be marginalized. So Mm. for people who can't see you, 
even though I plan to have a visual component to this, a lot of people are just listening to the podcast. Can you share what are your marginalized identities? Sure. I describe myself as really most sincerely fat. And I'm also uh, bisexual, pansexual, whichever one prefers. I'm married to a cisgender white woman, as I am also a cisgender white woman, not as because, but I just am. I also have multiple disabilities and traumas from various experiences in my life, including bipolar one disorder. Thank you so much for sharing that. Something I know. <laughs> I know, right? Because it's so, everybody, people have so many layers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just go dealing with what's thrown at you and you forget like all the different ways where you're given extra crap for being yourself. So absolutely. <laughs> there may be others. So what do you do these days? What is your focus or your passion? Sure. I am the creator and curator of The Way of the River, um, which is found at thewayoftheriver.com. And I offer spiritual accompaniment and guidance to folks who are interested in deepening their spiritual journeys, often after having been alienated from their original religious or spiritual tradition. And so I see a lot of LGBTQI folks, a lot of non-binary folks and gender fluid folks. And as I'm white, I have a smaller population of people of color who work with me, but where that intersection of the rainbow family and people of color, black and indigenous folks come into where those intersections are, those are the folks who often often work with me. And I also offer classes in discernment, uh, making good choices, and I run a winter solstice retreat, actually, which is super awesome and fun. Um, that's a day long, and I've done it for years, but now it seems like the thing. I've done um, this it on Zoom over the last oh. four years. This will be the fifth year. And that's a, it's a really meditative time. It's a really, you know, gentle time for folks in the middle of winter in the Northern Hemisphere. What is the significance of the winter solstice? Oh, yeah. Well, for me, the significance of the winter solstice is that it is a time to really, as the Earth in the Northern Hemisphere kind of rests for a while, it's ideally a time for us to rest too mm-hmm. and to let our own deepest, wisest subconscious selves come to the forefront while we rest our minds a little bit, the front of our minds, the conscious daylight minds. You know, it's dark outside and my wife and I have a tradition every year of turning out for the solstice we turn off all electric lights in the house and we light the house only with candles for the duration of the solstice and we make cookies and it's hilarious because the next day the kitchen floor oh my god because of course you can't see so much by candlelight what a mess you're making oh that sounds like such a sweet tradition though yeah it really is you have an interesting blend of Christianity, 
And what is the other word? Is paganism the right word? Paganism is the right word. Um, My particular tradition in paganism is Stone Circle Wicca USA. That's our particular path. And I don't identify as Christian, but some people call me Christian adjacent. (laughs) And they always smile and laugh a little bit when they do it. Just because the rhythms of Christianity, as as you said, I grew up Roman Catholic, the rhythms of Christianity of the liturgical year of saints and prayers and ritual all really speak to me. So I, and my father was a professor of the Bible as literature. So I have, I'm, I'm steeped in, in Christianity. Like I can't take it out. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's how I think a lot of people feel, like, mm. depending on how you were raised. It's something that is always going to inform how you move through life as an adult. But that may need to evolve over time, like how it informs your experience. Absolutely. So how did you grow up with that sort of religious upbringing and then come to terms with your identity as a bisexual or pansexual person? Mm-hmm. And how has your religious experience evolved or how did it need to evolve? Uh-huh. Well, what happened is unfortunately pretty simple. I was super, super, super duper involved in the music program at my church. I led the music for mass sometimes. I sang in choirs. I directed choirs. I played handbells. I played the organ, played the harpsichord. (laughs) And so on both Christmas and Easter, I went to church four times each because I had to do some kind of musical something. Yeah. (laughs) And then near the end of my 17th year of life, I came out. And my university had non-discrimination, was discussing whether or not to put sexual orientation into their non-discrimination policy. Mm-hmm. And so right around the time of my 18th birthday, I wrote a letter to the editor and I was out in the letter to the editor. And pretty much overnight, I lost my Catholic community mm-hmm. that had been my real home. I was really bullied in school, and church had been a real haven for me. And so it was a crushing blow to lose that community. And then, you know, I was a late in my late teens, early 20s, and I just got really angry, right? I was, you know, really furious with what had happened. And then I met some people through the LGBSA, which was which is what it was called then, the Lesbian Gay Bisexual Student Alliance. And they were they identified as witches. And I was like, what is that about? But then they I got a book. They gave me a book called The Spiral Dance that was written by a woman named Starhawk. Her given name was Miriam Samos, but she goes by Starhawk. And she talked about a concept of the divine that encompassed more than just one gender. And that just opened 
a whole new world to me. Like I saw Mary, the mother of Jesus in a whole new way. I, everything started to shift. So by the time I was 19 or 20, I had, I lived in a basement apartment. So I had those like window wells with the long windowsill. And I made a little altar with a candle and a picture of a goddess that I drew and a couple little statues just sitting on the windowsill and a plant. And when later in my life in 1999, I was initiated as a first degree priestess in the tradition of Stone Circle Wicca. And then by 2006, I was initiated as a third degree priestess, which is as far as we go. That's our, the sort of the degree at which we have spiritual care obligations to our community. So, And how did you, with the loss of that spiritual community, were you at all prepared when you came out? Did you have any idea that your spiritual community that I'm sure spoke about how loving it was, it obviously felt like a safe place to you. Mm-hmm. Did you have any idea that you might be completely rejected? Did you know that was something that might happen? Like what you're hearing so far? Be sure to check out the Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Dahlia Kinsey. There's several tiers to choose from, and all of them include access to the body liberation community. So if you'd like to be in community with other people who are ready to break down all systems of oppression and get beyond diet culture, that's where you want to be. Check it out. That's www.patreon.com slash D-A-L-I-A-K-I-N-S-E-Y. Link in the show notes. Well, later on, I found out that there were members of the choir who spoke to my mom and said, asked how I was, were concerned for me, still loved me, wished I was still around. But what I had never known, because we only ever dealt in music, was that the choir director and some of the sort of core other musicians I worked with all the time were very, very religiously and politically conservative. So I had no idea. I mean, I knew what the church's position was, right? But I don't know. It was so my home that I... I, I, I missed it somehow. I, I just, I thought it would be okay somehow. Yeah. Somehow hearing that makes it even more painful to Mm. even hear. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Just the, you're so tender and exposed when you're Mm -hmm. young and to see a young person walking toward a major life change or a gut punch. Mm. It's just, it's tough. It brings up all the memories other people have of being vulnerable and being caught off guard. Just having the rug pulled out from under you when mm-hmm. you thought you had a home there. Yeah. Yeah. How did you find the ability to trust community again? Or did you always just crave it and want to replace it? Well, I had a really strong community in college. 
in the queer community. I sometimes say that I was raised by gay men. And I mean, it was sort of classic in some ways. It wasn't always very functional. We danced until we were like sweaty and falling on the floor and mostly falling on the floor because we had drunk way too much. Our lives kind of revolved around politics, parties, and the club. And, but they were really there for me. They were really there for me. And so I had a very strong community. It just wasn't a religious community. And it was a while before I could find anyone who really identified as religious in any way that was a communal experience. Um, It was years. It wasn't until I encountered Unitarian Universalism and was able to like go to church that wasn't only Christian. Because in Unitarian Universalism, we have a really broad range of theologies, but we have a covenantal and ethical set of principles that we agreed to live by in terms of how we treat one another, other people, and the earth. Okay, so it's really kind of a non-denominational... Yeah, because there are Christian you use, there are Jewish you use, I have a friend who's a Muslim you use, and there's atheist you use. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now, when it comes to helping other people who Mm -hmm. are trying to move through trauma from being rejected by their traditional religious community. Mm-hmm. How do you help people get started? Because I would imagine, depending on how you were raised, when you first start looking at other faiths or other options, mm-hmm. the first thought that comes to mind is, oh no, like this is this mm-hmm. is not safe or this is not okay. Did you have any fear that like maybe even looking at paganism somehow Mm -hmm. is going to open you up to dark energy or you didn't Mm -hmm. have any fears about that? Well, because I didn't really know about it until I met people I already liked and trusted, I didn't really have that experience. I was like, oh, well, if my friend Randall is doing this, it must be okay. (laughs) You know, and it taught me to appreciate my ancestors, which is a really important part of my practice. You know, you you mentioned working with people who have had traumatic experiences with religion. And then you said the word safe and being safe and feeling empathy are the most important things, I think, in welcoming someone into a space where I don't have an agenda for them about what they're going to believe spiritually or how they express their sexuality, you know, as long as it's life-giving and in, in the sort of their life is being treated well and the people with whom they're engaging are being treated well and everyone are consenting adults, that I don't have agendas for them about their theology or their way of life. And certainly not their identity in terms of gender or sexuality or, you know, almost anything, really. And, I mean, I bump up against my own privilege and prejudice all the time. And it's my job to engage, as Adrienne Marie Brown says, in dismantling any myths of supremacy. 
where I am privileged, like uh, where I carry white skin privilege, for example. But I also encourage myself and the people that I work with, especially my non-binary Black, Indigenous, and people of color folks to do the other half of what Adrienne Marie Brown says, which is to claim our own dignity, joy, and liberation. And joy, so important. But there is no liberation without joy. And so, and you can't feel joy unless you feel safe, right? You feel safe. It's profound to hear it out loud. Like it really kind of, it hits differently, especially now. Seeing all of the suffering, of course, the suffering has never stopped, but it just feels like now, everywhere you turn, there's another crime against humanity or just another example of injustice and all these systems of oppression that come down on people who have multiple marginalized identities, it feels like sometimes we start to believe that there's no time for joy because there's too much serious business going on. Yes. Yes. And we need to be in the struggle. Yes. And you know, when I think about this, sometimes I think about trans women of color who are living life out loud and are in so much danger Mm. so much of the time. And I, that is just something that really, you know, when you talk about intersectionality, right? Those trans women are living, those women are living in an incredible amount of intersectional oppression. Mm-hmm. And yet you see all this beauty, all this like delight in often, not always, but often a really femme identity. And I also identify as a sovereign femme. That's one of the ways that I describe myself. And so seeing them is always really an inspiration for me, not to turn oppression into inspiration, uh, but that didn't sound very good, but that folks are living in a police state, you know? Like, I'm in Portland, Oregon right now, and at the time of our recording, it's a really scary, there's a lot of really scary stuff happening here right now. And it's because people have stood up and said that Black lives haven't mattered and they must matter. That it's you can't just say Black lives matter because the world, the United States is showing us over and over again how people think that Black lives don't matter. And we have to say Black lives must matter. They need to matter. They matter to me. They mm-hmm. do matter. And as a result of just people speaking the truth now you know we have federal agents in unmarked vehicles pulling people off the street it is such a scary time in america because of mm-hmm. course this country has been problematic from day 1 from the beginning <laughs> from the first time a colonizer set foot over here 
there's been trouble. Mm-hmm. But I think now, because when there is trouble, we, for the most part now, we all know about it. Of course, there's still a ton of information that's suppressed and hidden from us. But there is no more blissful ignorance for the most part. Amen. And so we are aware that we seem to be at a point where our nation is deciding whether we're going to be a police state, whether we're going to slip into this very fascist way of living, whether we're going to allow white supremacy to continue to form our nation's future as it always has, like, will it continue to be an American value, white supremacy? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. are we going to keep doing that? Mm-hmm. And it's nerve wracking. And prior to this, I know a lot of people were saying we were living in a post-racial society. Of course, all BIPOC people knew that was some foolishness. There were a lot of people who really thought like, oh, we've made all this progress and we have uh, a black president. And so that, was, that was proof to a lot of people that like, mm. oh, racism's done. And mm. I've been asked so many times in my lifetime if I've ever experienced racism. And every time I hear it, for some reason, I'm in shock. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> Seriously? Do are you, you asking me this question yeah, right now? I'm like, do you, how in the world do you not know? But it's always sincere. But oh. now anyone who asks that question at this point, it's just clear that there's a lot of willful ignorance. And because of the progress that we're making as a nation, now I even have words for some forms of oppression that I never knew what to even call them. Because when everybody's gaslighting you and telling you we're post-racial, people didn't say microaggression in the 80s, at least Uh in my town. I didn't know what that was. It was just like life and the way that people constantly make you feel like you're a piece of trash, even when they're giving you these backwards compliments that really articulate. Exactly. Exactly. Like a million times I've heard that one or it's so pretty for a black girl or just all kinds of foolishness, Mm. but there was no language for it. And whenever you would speak up about it, people would tell you you're being hypersensitive or they would tone police you. So Mm. there it's empowering. And that now I see more people forming community around these issues. And I think joy and community are the antidotes to the damage that living under these systems of oppression do. Mm -hmm. And I think there's more of a movement toward being intersectional, but progress is coming kind of slow. And as we move forward, there's all this retaliation and all this backlash. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of creating a lot of scary tension. You don't know what's coming next. Yes, yes, yes. All of that. Yes. We have in the tradition of Wicca, I practice, we talk about how, you know, like a kitchen knife, right? Like the blade is not necessarily a kitchen knife, um, but the blade is a, is a tool for us. It's one of our tools. And we talk about how its purpose is to be almost like a doctor's scalpel to pull back images of illusion. And I feel like that's a lot of what you're talking about, is that images of illusion, like white supremacy is being uncovered for more and more and more people. Ijoma Luo was like, okay, so my book is on the bestseller list. That's great. Let's see how long it stays there. 
you know, her book, uh, So You Want to Talk About Race. And I think when we look at intersectionality, you know, I have to say, sizism and ableism are very often left out of people's understanding of what it means. And God knows healthism is that people are like, what? I've never even heard of that. Right. Uh, you know, and there are levels of sizism and ableism that, that run the gamut from just people telling their children, you know, oh, you don't need to eat that last cookie. You're, you don't, you're not hungry to, you know, my having to advocate for myself at restaurants. Hey, I'll need a sturdy chair that doesn't have arms. Can you make sure when I make a reservation that that that's going to be available for me? And people with disabilities, I mean, it was just 30 years ago, the anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And And people still, I mean, and I've seen it so much during COVID, will they just don't do the right thing unless there are legal repercussions. And sometimes certain people, the only way to reach them is to punch them in the purse. There are other people who, you know, they've built up their compassion and they've built up, they're just more kind hearted or maybe Mm. more aware, maybe in touch with compassion for themselves and therefore it ripples out to others. Basically people who aren't, assholes. I I can't think of it another way (laughs) who will do the right thing once they become aware that what they're doing is causing someone suffering. But then those other people need consequences. Mm -hmm. And to see how many students have been left out during remote learning because of their disabilities, we're going to be seeing some lawsuits in this, this coming year, you know, because Mm -hmm. you're supposed to have equal access Mm -hmm. to education and And that's Mm -hmm. something that you're entitled to under the ADA and people still aren't following the rules. Well, and sort of the other side of that coin too, is that many people with disabilities have been asking for accommodations like using computers and not having to go to some places to get, education for employment and oh look now all of a sudden we can do it when before people with disabilities were like i this would be helpful for me and it's a reasonable accommodation and people said no but now yeah a bunch of healthy white people (laughs) (laughs) i mean they're like oh just kidding kidding we could have done it the whole time it's so funny that you say that because I think just like with bisexuality and pansexuality, so many times people only validate certain parts of the marginalized experience. So if you can't see it 24 seven, people pretend it's not there. So if you have a chronic disease that people can't glance at you and see, Mm -hmm. then for some reason it's like you're not disabled enough. So if you're a spoonie or you're chronically ill and you really, when you're in the middle of a flare or you're out of remission, you are obviously disabled. It's not good enough for people for some reason. Like Mm. just like if you're bi, you're not gay enough. Never mind that you literally got kicked out of a community 
for coming out as a bisexual person. But then there's still plenty of people who are like, oh, that's not really gay. Because I, I hear that all the time. It's just so frustrating mm-hmm. to see when you go into a community where you should belong, that even yes. in those communities, there's a very narrow way to belong. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know when we're going to get to the point where we can make more room for everyone and build community with people, even if they're not exactly like us. Absolutely. I mean, I belong to a Unitarian Universalist minister's group against sizeism. And we talk about like literally making room Right? Like physically making room. As well as just acknowledging that like spiritual leaders and teachers come in all sizes. And that there is this thread running through, not exclusively, but really especially through this sort of um, nice white lady, new age spirituality world where there is this beauty standard. There is this thinness standard that is very oppressive Mm. to other people who are working to help build up people's lives and their psyches and their resilience. Cause spirituality is the a number one way that I know from my personal perspective to gain resilience. And that's I my like thing I'm always beating the drum about is that it comes about through gentle persistence and persistent gentleness. And those are the things that help us make change. Not shame, not, you know, saying that there's one way to believe something um, or one way to express the goodness of a body. Right. Every every one of us is sacred in the body that we have. And and I mean that in terms of not just size, but all of our embodied experience. That's beautiful. When you say that about the thinness and the white beauty standard in a lot of new age areas, I think about people who I've seen, I guess I won't say the show, but who will even say that fatness is linked to something being amiss in your spirit. Absolutely true. And they literally demonize (laughs) fatness. Yes. While telling us that they're here to heal us. And I just don't understand where the love is in that type of spiritual practice where you do not accept what is. And I don't Uh, mean to say that sometimes the body, like if you, if who you know you are gender wise and mm -hmm. what gender you were assigned at birth isn't the same to me, that's different. Accepting what is in that case is accepting that you are not cis and that whatever your journey is for feeling the most at home in your body is only for you to define. Mm -hmm. What I mean is when people try and demonize what you would have been able to accept on your own, Mm 
what you wouldn't have known to question had someone not told you. Because you mm. see all these fat babies running around naked who haven't gotten the memo that you're supposed to hate your body. Yeah. And you're supposed to be ashamed of your body. You have to cover it. Don't let anybody know you have bodily functions. Like, don't use that diaper in public. You know, they're just so... <laughs> don't use a diaper in public. <laughs> they naturally know that they are fine. They don't need mm-hmm. fixing. And they have no concept of using beauty as a way to access power or acceptance. Oh, oh. Because oh, yeah. well, who even cares? Like, why, why do we value beauty so much? How can... Why would we obligate people to be beautiful? Well, and that's such a that's such a fine line, right? Like beauty is a uh, that's a whole show. But one's own understanding of beauty being expressed in a way that is life-giving to them is is I think super important. Like my hair is purple. My lips right now are bright shiny fuchsia and I have a French manicure. Like these are ways in which I express my understanding of beauty and my self-concept. Right. But no, and no one is like harming me about that. I mean, people give me a little bit of side eye sometimes when I'm claiming beauty as a fat woman in that, mm. in that case, because those things seem contradictory, but For example, when I was in my first or second, sorry, my second congregational assignment as a minister, I was the intern minister at uh, a large Unitarian Universalist congregation. I preached on some of this. I preached about welcome and how fat people were literally not welcome in that congregation because of the way the seats were. There were areas on the side in the galleries where fat people could sit, just like long ago, you know, other people who were not white men had to be out of the way, right? But the main part of the sanctuary, the chairs were really narrow and they were set up like movie chairs, right? So you can't move them at all, and they have arms, and they have little tiny seats. So I was talking about welcome and how welcome can be expressed not only in terms of how we speak to people, but how do we make room for them? Can they get in the Bloomin' Building? And so I, I, and I, and it wasn't just about fatness at all. I spoke about all kinds of things. But after I preached the sermon, there were people who were really, really moved. It was amazing. I got thin people and fat people and people in between coming to see me in my office, you know, for weeks afterwards. It was, it was amazing. But immediately after the sermon, after the service in which that sermon happened, I was sitting down in the, like, foyer part of the congregation talking to somebody. And a woman comes up to me. And she says, hi, tells me your name. Here's my card. I'm a dietitian. Let me know if you change your mind. (sighs) Talk about missing the point. Oh, my goodness. You know, thank you for sharing that. Because I am, like, up to here 
with how tone deaf the dietetic community is Mm. to these intersectional issues Mm -hmm. that the fact that they have bought into white supremacy hook, line and sinker Mm -hmm. and sizeism hook, line and sinker that it is clouding their ability to reason Mm. and that their ignorance is downright offensive. Mm-hmm. And if they don't evolve, I don't believe the field will exist in a mm. hundred more years. I don't think yeah. people are going to go for it. The field is not aging well at all. Mm. Less than 2% of dietitians are black and they're way more than 2%. Like when you look at the general population, like uh-huh. we're a minority, but we're bigger than 2%. More than 2%. Right? Yeah. And the areas in which they refuse to get to the, with the program when it comes to the lie that being fat equals a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Not true. Number one, being born, that's your death sentence right there. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, we need to come to terms with our own mortality and decide how mm-hmm. we want to live. And then when it comes to any kind of patient care, what the patient wants is crucial. So let's pretend that there wasn't a ton of research to indicate that dieting is destructive to health and it sucks on so many levels. You clearly expressed that your interest was making room for people in inclusion. Where in that did she hear, oh, I bet this lady wants my card? What, like how, the disrespect, just the nerve. Oh, that's foul. Yeah, it was not, it was not a great moment. And the thing is, you know, speaking of white supremacy, another thing, (laughs) and another thing, (laughs) is that it's the way that my experience in white supremacy is that I've been trained to be nice, right? Niceness, swear to God, niceness comes from the devil I don't even believe in. I was like, oh, thank you so much. I'll let you know if I... If I need oh, to talk to no. you. Oh, no. By life, you like, give like, yourself some grace and know that that was trained into you. That was a trained yeah. response. It was. It was a trained automatic response. And it's actually, for me, it's a trauma response, mm-hmm. right? There's that fight, flight, freeze, or please. Yes. Um, or fawn. Sometimes it's desc- described. I'm definitely in that category, that last category. When I feel threatened... I get very compliant and it's so funny because I'm all like, you know, full of piss and vinegar and, and and then, but if I feel put into a corner, I try to like sweeten my way out of it. Well, and that's I my automatic response. about that as one of the defense mechanisms, mm-hmm. but that makes sense because that response was the quickest way to end that interaction. I have noticed when people will use that with me, I I complain about people at work refusing to come right out when they don't want to be a part of a project. They won't just say, that's what I would do. I'd be Mm. like, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get people to just admit they're never going to turn something in. They don't want to do it. Um, They'll just say, yeah, thank you for calling me. Thank you. I will get on that. And that's the fastest way to get me off the phone Mm. is to agree with me. And I never, it never occurred to me that this could be part of a trauma response. Like they're responding to my 
confronting them about this missing work mm. with that. And maybe I just need to leave them alone because I didn't recognize that that's what that was. Mm. I just kept saying, why don't they just say no? Right. I have a, I have a story that you may not have time to keep in this interview. I will oh, tell you. please, please share But it. it's very pertinent to what you're talking about. I went to get a mammogram. Everybody's favorite thing, mm-hmm. right? Super fun. And they had asked me if I needed a wheelchair to get from the desk, the front desk, to the exam room. And I said, no, thank you. I have a cane. I'm good. And, but I did ask for a, quote, chair in the examination room because in between, I I had four pulmonary embolisms. Big fun. Yeah. Lived to tell the tale though. So happy about that. But But my pulmonary capacity is really not great and I have lower back issues. So I often need to sit down and stretch my back like do a little cat-cow yoga in, my, in a chair between some of the imaging. Well, the technician that I was working with had to bring in a wheelchair. And she was like, you said you didn't need a chair. And I was like, well, I didn't know that chair meant wheelchair. But okay. So recognize what this woman is doing in terms of the vulnerability of the patient. Right. right, she's got her hands all over a part of your body that most people don't go touching your boobs and putting them on a machine and squishing them up. And she says to me, "So, are you having surgery?" And it took me a beat, and then I was like, "Oh no, no, she is not." And I said, "What do you mean?" And she said, "Well, you know, weight loss surgery." And as as though this is like. This is oh, a radiology so technician who oh, was giving no. me a mammogram. And I said, no, no, I'm not. I'm actually not a good candidate for weight loss surgery for various reasons. And I have a friend who died, another friend who almost died recently, and a colleague of a friend of mine who died as a result of complications related to weight loss surgery. And she said, oh, you've had bad experiences. And I'm thinking to myself, death of your friends is not a bad experience. But she goes on to say, have you ever seen 600-pound life? Oh, my God. How did you not backhand her? Well, because I have this, like, niceness bullshit like response right and i'm just thinking just let i can just get through it i'm just gonna get through it i'm just gonna get through it i'll be done i'll be fine i'll you know just get through it and she says i'm not saying you're 600 pounds but oh my god somebody shut this woman up it keeps getting worse and it and it it's i'm not done she said have you seen it? Because it's really great and it shows all about how weight loss surgery can change your life and help you so much. And you and I said, I'm really not a good candidate for it for, for various reasons. And then we were done and I turned to her finally and I said, you know, I feel like you may, I'm so embarrassed to describe how 
how minor this comment was, but it's the truth. I'm kind of embarrassed because I feel like you've treated me maybe differently than you might have another patient. And she said, uh, and by the way, she was about like, I would guess a size 12, maybe size 10. Um, and like five foot two, I'm five, nine and like many multiple times of her. And she said, after I said, I think you treated me differently from the way you might other patients. She said, Oh no, I would never do that. I'm so sorry if I imposed upon you in any way. I mean, look at me. I'm no skinny mini. She says to me. And then I wanted to throttle her. I was like, would not even come at me with that stuff. That, oh. But then the icing on the cake is that she read me my films, the tech. I thought you're not allowed to do that. You're not. So this lady's just out of control. Totally out of control. So the good news is, is I got tremendous response from the company that owns that imaging company. Oh, good. Good. Wonderful. I mean, the the head of like finance and customer care called me back after I um, submitted a complaint. And she said, I don't care if you're 80 pounds or 800 pounds, you should be getting compassionate, respectful care. And you didn't. Oh, which is really, really great. And that's awesome. That So when you're out of the, the traumatic incident, mm-hmm. you stood up for yourself when you were able to. So I think that's important for people to hear too. That yeah. maybe if you can't do it in the moment, that's fine. Don't beat yourself up. And if you do it after, that's fine. Or if you decide you don't even have the energy for you it. You know, the spoons, that's fine. whatever. And, yeah. and that's the thing, gentle persistence, right? Like I, I, I was really upset afterwards. I cried in the car. I told my wife all about it. And then I was like, you know what? I deserved better like in every conceivable way (laughs) in that interaction. And there's something I can do about it. Right. And so I was able to offer myself compassion, which I think is so essential for anyone with marginalized identity to offer themselves, ourselves, self-compassion, that it is not us who are the problem. We are not the ones breaking the peace. The peace was broken long ago and we're just responding to it. And that comes back around to tone policing, right? Like, no, <laughs> you know, yeah. that people, if somebody is angry, I'm so sorry that your feelings are hurt. Your feelings are less important than the harm you're causing somebody else. Correct. So. Correct. And I, I love hearing that from a cis white woman, because mm-hmm. I got to say, not all the cis white ladies have gotten the memo that <laughs> their feelings are not the most important thing on the planet. Well, so it's good to know the secret's out of some people. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I get it. And <laughs> the thing is, I mean, I get it as far as I get it, right? Like I have really big feelings and my wife is always like, yeah. Catherine has big feelings and sometimes they come out her eyes because I'm a crier, right? (laughs) But you have to know when it is appropriate and to whom it is appropriate to express your feelings, 
right? Like, yeah. it's okay to feel embarrassed. It's like you didn't do what you wish you had done. Like you made a mistake. All the things. It is totally okay to feel that way. It's not okay to put those feelings onto a person who is in a relative state of oppression to you and make them educate you by their anger. Like, that is not okay. Absolutely. It's so, it's, I get so angry when I hear about all the ways that the healthcare system continues to fail everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, darn near everybody. And I, initially, I had put, when I was working on my trailer for this episode, Mm-hmm. that I was a fat, queer, black registered dietitian. But because my autoimmune disease affects my metabolism, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll say I'm fat and people will be like, yeah, you are. And then other times I say it, they're like, what are you talking about? Then I sound like that size 12 Looney too. And the way the body positivity movement is, mm-hmm. half the time, the women who are putting themselves out there have dressed on Instagram this this is what self-love looks like. They're like a 12 or in between a 10 and a 12. And that doesn't address what people who are in the super fat category are going through when it comes to accessibility. Like it's nowhere near the same experience. Fat liberation and body positivity are not the same thing. Exactly. Can you elaborate on that? What is fat liberation to you? For me, fat liberation or the liberation of embodiment entirely is centering the experiences of the people who, frankly, who have the hardest time in our culture because we have been the least welcomed. You know, I am happy for any person to love their body, like love it up have some pleasure it's great but again it's about audience it's about who you're talking to when that woman said to me well i'm no skinny mini like i was probably like three times her size and it's like when people tell me oh i really feel like i need to lose about 10 pounds that's when i want to punch someone in the neck because i'm like why would you tell me that what are you saying about what you think about me right now it's like the assumption is because i didn't answer your question I <laughs> well i was just thinking when you said that when you have internalized fat phobia and you're mm-hmm. still in a relatively small body mm-hmm. and you are totally unaware of your fat phobia or fat hatred it's not even a phobia mm-hmm. you say stuff like that thinking that everybody has that fat hatred And that you're about to create connection over this thing that you have in common. Mm -hmm. Your body's wrong and their body's wrong. Them not knowing that not everybody's still stuck in that place of fat hatred. And some of us understand that bodies come in all shapes and sizes. And there's such a thing as body neutrality. And who said we all had to be this one way? So they think they're building community and they don't even understand how putrid what they're putting out there is. (laughs) That's a great word. And in fact, they're triggering my fat phobia, right? Triggering my own fat hatred. Because I was thinking about, right, like the biggest indicator of whether or not a child is going to grow up and have issues with food and disordered eating, you know, unskillful 
eating for themselves. It's how their parents talked about their own bodies. And both of my parents had very weird, disordered relationships with food, you know, and, and it, it makes a huge difference. You don't know that children are listening, but, but they true. are. Exactly. And it doesn't matter if you tell them, oh, but you're beautiful, baby, and I love you and whatever. They know that they are you. And if they see that you keep criticizing yourself and you are worried about your access to love and power because of the size of your body, that's what they're going to have. If you think you're not pretty, then they know that must mean they're not pretty either because they are you. They're literally part of you and they understand that on such a deep level you cannot give your child something you do not have and if you don't have self-acceptance in your toolkit you can't pass it on no matter how badly you want to which I know could bring up guilt for some people but again you know when you know better you do better and you can't rag yourself out for what you did in the past But if you're in a place where you still have somebody small around you, the biggest thing you could do to help them with their self-image and their self-acceptance is work on your own. Because lip service doesn't really go anywhere with kids. It's Mm -hmm. all example. Yeah. Well, and as we, you know, sort of wind down, I think I want to come back to that self-acceptance piece and how we miss the mark, right? All of us have quote unquote bad body days where we feel uncomfortable in our bodies or, you know, our bodies feel like they're not our friends, even though they're our steadfast allies and our oldest friends. They've kept us going all this time. And if they're hurting or they're sick, they're letting us know that they're having a hard time right? Self-compassion, that persistent gentleness, I really think is the only way we're going to get rid of diet culture because diet culture is based on shame and blame and guilt. And gentleness, kindness, compassion for ourselves is those are the like spiritual, I think of them as the, the children of love, right? They're like emanations of love. And they are why I do the work that I do around all kinds of identities. And I just hope that everybody who listens today gets that, that as angry as I get and as you get, right? Totally rightfully. And as any, any person who is combating harm, that we can offer ourselves the compassion to start again. When we mess up to say, I'm sorry, I know what I did, and I'm going to try to do better next time. And then to work on, okay, the next day is a new day. I'm forgiving myself for screwing up yesterday, and I'm going to keep on. Representative John Lewis, who just recently died, talked about, you know, not giving up and getting into good trouble, which a lot of people are getting into right now. And I'm very grateful for that. But, 
you know, fat people who dare to say in public that we're fat, that's good trouble. Like start there. I like that, that, that tangible entry point. And I love the example that John Lewis set in being a joyful person mm-hmm. and knowing that you get knocked down. That isn't the important part. The important part is that you get back up and that you keep, you just understand that perfection is not human. It's not a worthy goal. It's not required. It's not realistic. All you have to do is keep going and you're going to keep growing. Just don't stop. Do you have an exercise or something really tangible for somebody who wants to build more self-compassion that we could do now, whether it's a meditation or a prayer that you could share? One of the simplest meditations that I offer myself comes from the first time I ever went swimming in the Gulf of Mexico. And I, I love the ocean. So I got there and I just couldn't resist. And I took my shoes off and I walked into the Gulf of Mexico with all my clothes on. And I couldn't tell where I ended and the ocean began because it was so warm. And I dove down under the water. And when I came back up, there was a warm rain falling. And I was in the ocean with the rain falling on me. And that is what I wish for my self-compassion and for everyone's sense of self-compassion. It's being utterly surrounded, covered, safe. You know, you respect the ocean, but it was a part of the shallower part of uh, the Gulf of Mexico. But safely held and buoyed up, right? The floating, able to be held on all sides and to just be drenched by compassion. And I really do think of that. I think of it as a warm rain falling when I have just come up out of the water and turning my face up and letting that rain fall and just wash away every ounce of a lack of forgiveness or shame or blame that I have. I love that visualization. That's excellent. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for coming on. I hope you'll be back. I would love to come back sometime. And this has been amazing, Dahlia. Thank you so much. Was that an awesome first conversation or what? I feel like we're killing it right out the gate. I'm so excited to be connecting to all of you. And I'm looking forward to building community around this type of content. If this is an alignment for you, then you definitely want to be connected to the Body Liberation for All community. It's really going to be centered around communicating with and networking with other people. I think it'll be a fascinating spot to be in for creatives and just for anyone who in general is over constantly being marketed to on Facebook and seeing things that you didn't originally log in to see. So that's not an issue in this community. It is not 
on Facebook. It is a standalone community. And the link is in the show notes. Be sure to check that out. If you want to make sure you never miss an episode, since there will be an episode every month, but there will also be bonuses, be sure to join the mailing list. Visit www.daliakinsey.com slash body lib playlist. As a bonus, you get access to my body liberation playlist. And then you don't have to worry about trying to check in on social media to see when the next episode is going to be up should there be a bonus. All right, see you next time. Yeah, they might try to put you in a box. Tell them that you don't accept. When the world is tripping out, tell them that you love yourself. Hey, hey, smile on them. Live your life just how you like it. It's your party. Negativity is not invited. For my queer folk, my trans, people of color, let your voice be heard. Look in the mirror and say that it's time to put me first. You were born to win. Head up high with confidence. This show is for everyone. So I thank you for tuning in. Let's go.